What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to Hall of Fame journalist David Aldridge, who, by the way, is also someone born and raised in Washington, D.C., went to DeMatha High School in Maryland, so he knows this area, as one might imagine, as the person who's the Washington War Chief of the Athletic. Thrilled to talk to David Aldridge. And what we're going to discuss with David, Mr. Aldridge, is what is the topic of this entire program, and that is what looks like the eminent fall of the kingdom of Dan Snyder, the erstwhile franchise owner of the Washington football team. So I'm going to start, in case folks out there aren't familiar with who this guy is, I think it's important that I start with a little essay here about Dan Snyder, and then we'll take it right to David Aldridge, and he'll bring it home and actually explain from his perspective why this is so momentous. So people have to understand that in Washington, D.C., fans are leaning out of their office windows and cheering themselves hoarse, and sports radio is playing Celebration by Cool and the Gang. What's the deal? Well, after a 24-year tenure that can only be described as the bad, the worse, and the ugly, Washington Commanders owner Dan Snyder is reportedly selling his team. Perhaps not since the 2011 Arab Spring has there been such an outcry of relief at the end of an era of autocracy. It would take a book to fully outline all of Snyder's reported pettiness, cruelty, and overall awfulness. In fact, I wrote a book in 2012 called Bad Sports, How Owners Are Ruining the Games We Love, and I dedicate a whole chapter to Snyder, and now my book is painfully out of date. That's how much has happened over the last 10 years. Now, even though people in D.C. are cheering his departure, it would be wrong to characterize Snyder's exit as punishment. He is on the verge of selling the team to a group led by hedge fund manager Josh Harris for $6.05 billion, just a cool $5.25 billion more than the $800 million he originally paid for it. 
Such a payout feels obscene after years of wretched stewardship. Just seeing Snyder get a platinum parachute is enough to turn a stomach. Now, at least 75% of NFL owners would have to approve of the sale, but it's unlikely that Snyder would be selling the team if the other owners weren't eager to see him go. Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay said last year that there is merit to remove Snyder from NFL ownership, and there are certainly reports, more than a few, that the league's other owners dislike him intently. Look, when I moved here as a young man, this team was everything. Every bus stop and barber shop was a site of chatter about the latest DC football news. And when Snyder purchased the team, the waiting list for tickets was as long as the Washington Monument is tall. Now, after almost a quarter century of dysfunction on the field, Snyder's franchise, we can now look at it and see that they've had 18 losing seasons. But even bigger than that, off the field, he was nasty as he wanted to be. It's terrible. He took one of the most beloved franchises we have and ran it into the ground by being anti-labor, by being anti-indigenous, and by being cruel. Now, instead of being the thing everybody wants to talk about, the team is a painful afterthought. This past season, the team wasn't even that bad, and yet it had the lowest attendance in the league. That's Snyder's legacy. He made being a fan of Washington football feel dirty. During Snyder's tenure, there's been a parade of coaches and general managers, none of whom tasted any kind of sustained success. He was also reportedly imperious and insecure in the way he treated other personnel. Although reports of his mistreatment of employees are legion, this is about far more than reports that he prohibited people from making eye contact with him, successfully sued elderly longtime season ticket holders for not being able to make their payments, marked the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks by selling 9-11 swag for profit, and oversaw a stadium that's ranked worst in the league and that we've literally seen falling apart. That's all there was, a dictatorial incompetence. Snyder would not have been shown the door by the NFL ownership fraternity. So what finally pushed the owners to say they'd had enough? That's difficult to say. Perhaps it was the accusations of sexual harassment and toxicity that ran through the team's workplace, drawing the attention of Congress. According to a U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform report published last year, women from cheerleaders to office workers allegedly did not feel safe in the workplace. The report details that some reportedly felt unsafe around Snyder himself. After that hearing, Snyder released a statement of boilerplate about you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I've apologized multiple times. I mean, he doesn't even say I apologize. He says, I apologized multiple times. And then he also says that, quote, allegations leveled against me personally, many of which are well over 13 years old, are outright lies. I unequivocally deny having participated in any such conduct at any time and with respect to any person. That statement didn't quite explain why he had to pay $1.6 million to an employee who complained of unwanted advances, but Snyder tends to elide the truth when necessary. We also can't forget the debacle over changing the team's name. For two decades, Snyder defended the racial slur that was the name of the franchise, despite a cacophonous chorus of indigenous people demanding that he change it. Sounding like a modern-day George Wallace, he infamously vowed, We'll never change the name. It's that simple. Never. You can use caps. 
but in 2020, he buckled like the gargantuan look-at-me team insignia attached to his belt. Snyder didn't change the name out of some newfound respect for the indigenous people he'd held in contempt. He changed the name when FedEx, which owns the naming rights to the stadium where the team plays, said that it would pull its money if he didn't change the name. But NFL owners have long tolerated owners who've said or done odious things. Snyder's greatest sin in their eyes might have been his inability to secure public funding or even a location for a new stadium. Discussions with area politicians went nowhere under Snyder, and yet now with his dismissal, they appear to be open to discussing it, a sign that Snyder is someone with whom few wanted to do business. But perhaps the last straw was reporting from ESPN that Snyder was using a law firm and private investigators to dig up dirt on his fellow owners. Lawyers for Snyder told ESPN that the reports are, quote, categorically false and that he has no dossiers. Look, doubling down on a racist team name and reportedly objectifying women is one thing, but it seems his reported attempt to smear his fellow billionaires was a bridge too far. Whatever the reason, he lost the support of owners and whatever the reason, he is selling the team. Snyder's name will be forever be cloaked in infamy in this town, and while he may have $6 billion to keep him warm at night, no amount of money will buy him the respect in this community he longed for but tore to shreds. Snyder is done. Let the healing begin. And now we're so thrilled to have on the show a Hall of Fame media member, somebody who's made his mark on every possible station and newspaper and um, online magazine, you name it, he's done it. So honored to have him on the show. My son knows him best from NBA 2K, David Aldridge. David Aldridge, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure, Dave. Good to talk to you, man. It's great to talk to you. So, before I ask you one question about Dan Snyder, uh, could you say something about your uh, personal history with Washington, D.C. football? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I started, I was five years old when I heard about this football team and I became a fan when I was five. I mean, so, so I've been, in, I was a fan for, you know, 22 years of my life. Um full-blown died in the wool fan of the football team. Like I just was, it was just everything. Whatever they sold, I bought it. Whatever they said, I listened, you know, I wrote fight songs for the team. I did everything, you know, it was ridiculous. I was all, all the way in. Um, and then when I, I was at the Washington post and I was 20, 29. And uh, so it was 24 years, I guess. And so I was 29 and my boss said, well, you're going to cover the team now. So I haven't been a fan since. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't be. You just can't be anymore. You uh, have to stop. So <laughs> I might be wrong, but was that the legendary George Solomon who said that? That was. You? That was George. I was just, I covered the bullets for five years. And George, I think somewhat smartly, liked to rotate beat writers around. Because he thought after five, after how many, he didn't have a specific number of years in mind. But he thought, if you cover the uh, any team too long you either get jaded or you become a cheerleader you know what i mean like you get too close to the people that that are still there um so you, he liked to move people off of beats and put them on different beats and there actually was some method to that madness and so i did i covered the team for three years um well uh, and it was great it was a great experience i don't doubt it now I know you hadn't been a, a fan since you were 29, but yeah. you know that that burgundy and gold has to lurk somewhere 
inside you. So can, if we accept that as true, uh, what has it been like these last 23 years with Dan Snyder at the controls? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, the same experience that most people have had who live here and who follow the team is that it's just been one catastrophe after another. Um, you know, it's not just garden variety. They suck at football. Like you could live with that. Like that's, it's not great, but that happens in sports. You're good for a while and then you're not good for a while. And then hopefully you get good again quickly. Um, there are cycles to it. Right. But this cycles lasted 24 years. Yeah. You know, like, like they've been, you know, pretty inept with very few exceptions. Uh, most of the time that, that Dan Snyder owned the team, they've been terrible. Um, and then you add on top of them never seeming to be able to figure that part of it out, just his own personal kind of dysfunction and pettiness and just just uh, just all kinds of, you know, just everything you could think of that a person shouldn't do just if they're just trying to be a decent person, you know, like mm -hmm. nobody begrudges most people their wealth, you know, unless they cheated to, to get the major wealth, which a lot of people did. But even so, even then, most people don't begrudge people their wealth. Because mm -hmm. um, they think it could be them next. Yeah, you always think, well, if I work really <laughs> hard, I could be a billionaire someday, right? Like, so, um, but there's a meanness to Dan Snyder, mm -hmm. you know, that that's, not, not, that's unnecessary. Um, and it comes across as being a bully um, because he has more money than you and, and can either buy you out buy you off or he's so rich he doesn't have to listen to you mm -hmm. um and and that's okay if he treats me that way i don't work for him you know what i mean like he doesn't have to respect me or like me or anything like that but you should respect the people that do work for you i think you should try to make life easier for them than harder and i don't think he did a very good job and then he didn't seem to particularly care about that mm -hmm. um and didn't really seem to care about the community that 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 took that football team as, as its own and really embraced it. And for 20 years, you know, cause George Allen was a big part of this too, you know, and he, he doesn't get the credit because Gibbs came in and won three Super Bowls, which I get, and I all due respect to Joe Gibbs, but it started with George Allen and that was for seven years. Like, you know, they were nothing, they were terrible and he made them winners and people yeah. really fell in love with the team in the seventies. Um, and so it was it was a 20 year run of really good football. Um, but neither one of those people seemed to be bad human beings. You know, they were obsessive. But Joe Gibbs seems like a decent human being. Right. Like nobody thinks he's a bad guy. Yeah. Nobody thought George Allen was a bad guy, you know. like, And so that the difference now is that the person that's kind of the the symbol of the team, the face of the team, because the, the GMs and the coaches and the quarterbacks seem to change every three years or so is Dan Snyder. And he doesn't seem like a very nice guy. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Uh, so the over under is five. How many stories about Dan Snyder do you know that you absolutely just can't say on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> oh, way over five. I mean, yeah. everybody's heard. I was having, I told somebody, I was having lunch with my best friend yesterday and we got, and this came, topic came up and I started telling him, Hey, there's, 
Snyder stories that I had heard over the years and recently. And the guy sitting next to us literally gets up from his lunch and says, Oh, I got a better story than that about Snyder. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't know the guy at all. He tells his everybody's got everybody in town's got Snyder stories. You know what I mean? Like, so doesn't make me unique. Um, I think that's the part of the problem is that you very rarely, like almost always over the course of time, you hear from somebody that knows somebody famous that says, look, you may think this person is not this, that, or the third, but here's what, here's a nice thing that they do. Mm, you know, and you never hear that about this. You never hear it. And I'm sure he does civic things. I'm sure he does charitable things, but it's so toxic that nobody feels compelled to share that with anyone. Yeah. That's how bad it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> resistant to, to sin washing. Uh, unbelievable. You know, my uh, wife who teaches DC history, she yeah. said it's difficult to think of a private citizen in DC who unites people, who's united people in loathing <laughs> like Dan Snyder, like just for, strictly from a historical perspective. Yeah. Yeah. A private I mean, citizen. Yeah. I mean, the non-governmental figure. Yeah, sure. That's why, you know, I wrote about this last week and said, you know, if you, you have to take all of the political people out of the equation, right? Because half of the people will like them and half of the people will hate them no matter who they are. So that's, it's kind of unfair. It's kind of facile, right? Um, but yeah, if you think about people that just kind of live here, work here or own businesses here, it's, it's a short list. The only person I could think of, I don't even know if this is, is, well, I thought about two, I thought about Calvin Griffith. You know, like like Dan Dan Snyder was an owner of a, of the of the original senators here, and literally told moved the team to Minnesota in 1961, and literally told the people of Minnesota, "I left DC because there's too many black people there." I mean, it's not I'm not making it up. He actually said that to people in Minnesota, <laughs> and you just go, "Wow, wow, that's pretty bad. That's not good." So, I mean, I think about Calvin Griffin. But I know that everybody maybe doesn't think of Calvin Griffith, you know, so. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's a short list, man. There's not many people short that, list. You know, that are reviled in this city. Like even Marion Barry, as I try to tell, explain it to people. Marion Barry gave me my first job when I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And I, he gave a lot of kids their first job through the summer job youth employment program. Um, and. He's beloved by people in this city. Like the people that don't know this city, they may think, oh, they all hate him. No, they don't. No, a lot of people love Marion Barry. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so that does, so he's not at all an example of that. So, yeah, I would say Dan's probably right at the top of the list. Dang. And th there are several books coming out about Marion Barry that looks at his history in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And talks about, the impact that he had on communities that had been deliberately ignored. It's exactly. something people remember uh, here. Maybe they don't remember that when they think of Marion Barry elsewhere, but. Right. Exactly. Those are people that don't live here. They yeah, didn't, you know what I mean? Like they don't live here. They don't understand. Like, yeah. It's yeah. like telling them to eat a half smoke. They don't know what we're talking right. about. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what, what do you find uh, most unforgivable about Dan Snyder? Again, I think it's just his his pettiness. He just seems pettiness. like a very petty individual. You know, yeah. I've heard a, a hundred, hundreds of exaggerations. I've heard dozens of people tell me the same story about, you know, 
people that don't work for him, you know, wanting to be friendly and calling him Dan and him saying, no, it's Mr. Snyder. Call me Mr. Snyder. You know, like, and it's like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> like, what is that? What is that? You know, like, you're not a king, yeah. you know, like, what, who the hell do you think you are? You know, like, I mean, I just don't, don't look at him in the hallway when you're like, come, come on, who does this? Yeah. Oh, I can't do you know, like, it's just ridiculous. You know, I just, it just, it's just, you know, there's, it, you don't have to be that way and let everybody know you're the boss. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you don't have to be that way. Um, it's just, it's just, you're just doing it out of whether it's insecurity or, or venality. I don't know what it is, but that just, that just always, I don't like bullies, Dave. I don't like bullies. I don't like people who bully other people around because they're richer or bigger or smarter or whatever. I don't like that. You don't have to do that to other people. You don't have to, you don't have to make other people feel small for you to feel big. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just don't, I have very little respect for people who do that. Yeah. Amen. Uh, you know, you, you're, you've got the pulse on some of the, on a lot of the DC sports politics scene. Does this open the door now? I mean, is Dan Snyder that toxic that when removed from the equation, and I might need to devote an entire show to the pros and cons of this. Sure. Sure. <laughs> stadium in DC. Is that now on the table? Yeah. Oh, sure. I think it's 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 back on all three municipalities, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. I think they're all gonna make a bid, make a pitch. Now the question is, and I don't know the answer to this, I don't know what Josh Harris wants to build. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he wants Dan Snyder wanted to build Jerry World up here, you know, with Jerry Jones had down in, in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, Arlington, technically, it's not Dallas. Um, and he wanted to build that here, the, which kind of precluded RFK because you can only really build a stadium in RFK. It's in the middle of a neighborhood. You're not going to raise entire city blocks, even for a, even if the owner's popular, you're not going to do that. You just yeah. you imagine you Dan Snyder trying to sell that. You know what I mean? Like you can't do it. So, so I don't know if Josh Harris just wants to build a stadium, a nice stadium, or if he wants all the accoutrements and a practice facility and you know, Hall of Fame and all the stuff, you know, that, that other teams have. Um, if he wants that, it's probably not going to be in D.C. because I just don't know where the land is to do that. You know, like I I don't know any place in town that has that much land available anymore. You know, you the footprint for RFK is a stadium. Now you can build a bigger one, a nicer one, but it's still just a stadium. You can't really put too much more in there, you know. So um, could you do it in Maryland? Sure, you could do it on the where FedEx field is now. I mean, you, there's a footprint for it, you know? Um, so you could do it uh, there if you want to do it there. And I'm sure Virginia, there'll be more close in places than what they were talking about before. I don't think it's going to be in Prince William County now. I mean, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I think they're all in um, and it'll just be a matter of how much public money can you mm -hmm. kind of siphon <laughs> And you're you're exactly right, Dan, uh, Dave. It's not. It's the, the last thing a, a, a municipality needs to do is build a stadium for a billionaire. That's ridiculous. But, yeah. but you know what I mean. But I get it. Somebody's going to do it because somebody wants the stadium there. So somebody will will bite and and make that happen. Mm. Well, you've been so generous with your time, David. But I would be so remiss if I just didn't ask you this one question. If I put you in charge of the Washington Wizards. What do your first hundred days look like? Well, I mean, 
I just feel like in the NBA, the worst thing you can be is kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's the worst place to be. You know, you can't, you can't be tied up with a bunch of contracts of people who aren't good enough to, to beat the best teams in the league and beat the best players in the league. Um, you just can't, it's just, you, there's no, it's, it's almost impossible to win. So much has to go right and nothing goes right in the NBA. Some people always get hurt in the NBA. People get old in the NBA. They get traded. They, they, they want more money than they're worth. You know, it just, you fire the coach or whatever, you know, like, so you're always, it's hard to win in the NBA. And so the best way to win in the NBA is that you have to have foundational superstar level players. You know, you need at least two of them and you probably need three. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think the Wizards have any. Well, I, I would say that I think Bradley Beal would, is a good player. Is he is a top 30 player in the league? Yeah, but that's about it. I don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he's a top 12 player in the NBA, you know? So it's really hard to win unless you have one of those. And the, and you only usually get those players through the draft. That's, that's, there's no, there's no secret sauce here. You know, you got to get lucky in the lottery in a year where there's a player worth taking at one, two or three that can really change your fortunes. It's not always, you know, some years it's not there. It's not there. That player's not there. It is this year. You know, uh -huh. this is one of those years where you, if you have a top three pick, you have a chance of taking a really, really good player. Um, but yeah, I think you have to start deconstructing this team mm -hmm. and, and building around the young, inexpensive players that you have and hopefully getting a, a, a you know, a, a bit of good luck in the lottery like they got when they were able to take John Wall. I mean, that's what it takes. You need somebody like John Walls. You need somebody that good. And John, you know, I know people don't remember, but John was five-time All-Star. He was really good for about seven years. Before, he was the best here. He was terrific, you know, so let's not pretend like he wasn't really good before he got hurt. He was really good before he got hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and you need a player of that caliber to kind of lift you, and they're just not there right now. So I would probably start getting rid of all the high-salary players. I would find out what the trade market is for Bradley Beal and see if I could work with him to find a destination that he wants to go to. Wow. Uh, I, I think that is something I totally agree with. And I wonder if Ted would let you last a hundred days. With no chance. No. Ted's made it clear. He won't do what, 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 again, what everybody else in the NBA does, which is when you're bad, you sell off and you play young guys and you go get in the lottery three or four years in a row. And, and when I say get in the lottery, I mean the high part of the lottery, the top five of the lottery. You have to be really bad for a couple of years to get high enough, a high enough chance to get one of those top two or three players. But then when you get them, you have them for 10 years. That's what I don't understand. Like you've got them. You have to get them first though. But once you have them, you have them for a long time, unless you really do something stupid or they get injured. So, yeah. you know, that to me is reasonable short-term pain for long-term gain. Yeah, that that definitely clicks with me. Uh, David Aldridge, before you go, what any music you're listening to that you want to share with us? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, Ahmad Jamal passed away last night, and I, I'm a big fan of his. Um, he's just a great piano player. So I would highly recommend uh, Poinciana. Poinciana. 
it's a, just a beautiful lyrical little tune that he played. But anything of Amal Jamal's, he's one of the greatest piano players I've ever heard in my life. And um, I like it's it's becoming a very very common occurrence to me these days, and it saddens me that I never got to see him live. You know, and I was like, gosh, I, always, I really should have gotten gone to see him live when I had if I, when I had the chance. Um, so yeah, that's who I'm listening to today. Excellent. And let's let's put it on here as well. Uh, David Aldridge, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. All right. Great to talk, man. We'll be back after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this. But first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important. And The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you got to read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to David Aldridge for joining us. Thank you so much to everybody out there listening. Thank you to my producer, David Tigaboo, and everybody at The Nation Magazine. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.